Um, hey, so glad that you're here. Tonight, we are diving into kind of what will be or what could be um, a several-week uh, series. We don't have a series name for it, but it's just a series. Uh, beginning of the year, I guess through prayer and fasting, the Lord's been kind of working in my life, um, kind of stirring in me some direction for the school year. And although we started out and RP and I have had a great direction and have all the way through April plan. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, Skirt, and we pivot and go a different direction. So that's kind of what we're doing. We're talking about spiritual formations the next few weeks. Um, we'll talk about relationships next week for show because it's February. And, you know, we just, we all just need a little bit of guidance in relationships. You know what I'm saying? How many of y'all in a relationship right now? Okay. How many of y'all hoping to be in a relationship by next week probably? Oh. Okay, trying to set y'all up. Nobody wanted to participate. Perry, is that you? Okay, here we go. <laughs> you crazy. Uh, but hey, we're, uh, we're excited about what the next several weeks hold. But tonight, we are talking Discipleship 101. Turn to your neighbor and say, you ready to be a disciple? Let's go. Tonight is going to be good. We are going to be in Matthew 28, probably one of the most popular verses of scripture on discipleship. But before we get there, um, if you have not been here in the last few weeks, or maybe you've, uh, it's been since last semester, or maybe you were here last week and just didn't get into a life group, our life groups have started. They actually kind of kick off in scripture, studying the book of Ephesians this week. Ephesians, correct? That's what we're doing? Yeah. Um, so if you haven't found a life group, please think about it. Consider getting into a life group. This is where your your consistency and your investment into this format of or how we build relationships and dig into scripture that's where you're really truly going to grow uh, it's really how my life changed in college is being in a consistent life group surrounded by friends who are also going for the things of God so if you haven't yet please do but before I move on and we get into scripture I got to show you this picture this was a couple couple weeks ago that's my son five months old tomorrow um I just showed him to you because I can. So that's really it. That is drool, yes. So, hey, it is awesome. We've loved being parents. Uh, it teaches you so much about uh, patience and selflessness. So if any of you want to babysit, come on over. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's not a plug. But we've been loving it. Hey, tonight we're going to be talking through discipleship. If you have any questions, this is really... I have one of my good friends here who's been doing college ministry with us for a long time. Uh, he's going to help me answer some questions at the end. So this number up here, if you want to text any number throughout service tonight, any number. If you want to text this number, any question. Let's get that right. Any question to this number, and we're going to answer some of these at the end. Uh, what do you want to know? So if, as we're talking through this, we're going to be talking about how to, become a, how to be a disciple of Jesus and then how do we make disciples of Jesus alongside of us? How do we be a disciple maker? Um, if you have any questions, plug this into your phone, write it down on your notes, plug it into your uh, Apple Notes app or whatever you want to use. Y- y'all ever know people or Apple, Apple Notes? Apple Notes, because it's already there. Okay, yeah, I figured. Come on. But hey, we're going to jump Matthew 28. Y'all ready? Yeah. Let's get in there. I'm going to turn in my Bible. Matthew 28. Okay. How many of y'all bring your paper Bibles to church? Hey, come on. How many of y'all got those electronic Bibles everywhere you go? Come on. (laughs) Let's go. 
It never fails. Okay, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're going to read this. So it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus. And then he says next, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you notice in the first part of that verse, Jesus says, all of the authority, all of the power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then the next statement then says, go. As his followers, as his people, this is a commandment that Jesus expects as his followers and his people. But not only does he expect us to go do it, he's going to equip us and be with us. It says at the end of the verse, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The confidence and the boldness that we can draw from is that Jesus will be always with us. And that power and authority does not have to happen in our own ability or strength. It happens through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. So when you say, Jesus, you're going to be the Lord of my life. I surrender to you. I know I need you. I recognize my sin, the failings, the shortcomings in my life. I want to live for you all the days of my life. Then we start to become a disciple of Jesus. But then next, as we continue to grow and as we develop our relationship with Christ, then God expects us to bring people along with us. And that's the beautiful part of this journey in the relationship with God is we're never done growing. How many of you have reached the pinnacle of your relationship with Christ? None of us. I don't know. My hand's not raised. I don't know why. None of us have reached it. And so if we're waiting on the, the perfect time or the end goal or us to be to a certain point in order to disciple people, we're no longer, we cannot get there. Because we'll never be at a point where we feel confident and, and strengthened enough or knowledgeable enough in our own ability to be able to say, I can do this with confidence because really it's just going to take a leap of faith for us to do it. So tonight we're just going to dive in. And so I'm hoping to break down some of the, um, so, some of these like negative connotations or some of these things that may be in our mind that we don't even know are there that prohibit us from, from actually being a, a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples uh, along the way. So I'm going to pray really quick as we dive into Scripture, and then I'm going to go all the way back just for a short moment. I'm going to nerd out with you. How many nerds in the house? How many love, details, history? A few of you. The rest of you are just going to be like, okay, along for the ride. Uh, But I'm going to pray first. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. I thank you that your word, it teaches us. It convicts us. It shows us areas in our life where we may need to adjust, where we may need to surrender to you. It may need to completely turn around and run towards you because we're walking away. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you for the power of the people around us, this community in this room, the people that are not here that represent our godly community in each of our lives. Lord, I pray that this year, in 2022, specifically in the spring semester, Lord, that we would be confident and bold believers in Jesus Christ, but also that we would be confident, bold, and equipped disciple makers for Jesus. And God, I pray that tonight you just teach us and show each one of us how we do that and what our next step is. In Jesus' name, and the whole church said, amen, amen. amen. So definition of a disciple. This is what it is according to Google. It says, a follower or student of a teacher, leader or philosopher. So I'm going to break it down all the way back to Jesus' time. You ready? So Jesus, picture this. Jesus is walking the earth. We're about to read uh, in just a few moments some of his interactions with his disciples. 
and how he actually came to call them. But if you were, if you were four or five, picture four or five-year-old you, you're just chilling, no responsibilities, no bills, praise God. Uh, your food is made for you. It's there. You know what I mean? You can, can you imagine that stage of your life? Uh, you're not having to go. Your, your bank account's not broke because you ain't got one. You're living off mom and dad's bank account. What up? So you're just living. So you're a little uh, Israelite, let's just say, uh, for the sake of this story. And you find yourself uh, about to go into kindergarten. Well, back then they didn't have a kindergarten. So what you find yourself in is, back in the day, it was called Beit Sefer. Turn to your neighbor and say, Beit Sefer? What'd you call me? <laughs> this Beit Sefer is basically grade school of this time period. So from zero, I guess not zero, because you don't go to school at zero. From like four, three or four years old, all the way until you're 12, this is where you find yourself if you're a kid. Maybe like daycare, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I wasn't there. But zero to 12, if you're able to go to school, you're in this. And so what they do here is they are memorizing the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, uh, also known as the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Some of y'all at four and five be like learning how to tee ball. You know what I mean? Shooting hoops. Y'all are practicing math problems, writing your name. These dudes are memorizing Genesis. Like that's what they're doing at age five. So up until you're 12, your goal is the first five books completely memorized. That's crazy. That's, that's, that's straight up crazy. Y'all upward basketball, these dudes, whole first five books. You know what I'm saying? Like insane if you, if you think back to like your age and the amount of time that, that would take. So let's say you're successful. Some of you, actually the majority of you may not be, but for those of you who were successful, you would then tra- transfer. <laughs> like you get your transcript and go somewhere else, you don't do that. You graduate and then you get, go to Beit Talmud. Say Beit Talmud. This is a school for men only from like 12, age 12 to like 15. So once you graduate, age 12, you've learned all five books of the Bible. Most of you women would go to, y'all would... Uh, Either get married a year or two later, and then you would start to have kids, take care of home, all that stuff. Back in this time, I'm not speaking this over you, I promise. Back in this time, that would be what happened. But the, but the boys who were like elite, that were smart, who learned the five books, memorized them, would continue school, grad school, if you will. So they show up, and then now their task in the next three years is to graduate knowing all the books of the Old Testament. All of them. So you get to Matthew and you're like, ooh, and you got that thick chunk before that. That's what they know. They know all of it. And let's say you complete that. You're like top of the class. You're like top five, top 5% probably. And then so what's next for you? The guys who don't complete that, right after that, they end up working, apprenticing under their dads, maybe grandfathers, learning the family business. They're learning to farm. They're learning to... Do whatever it is that their family does. But these people then, they're called upon a rabbi because they're smart enough and and they've made it to where they memorized all this. And so now they get to train and study under a rabbi. And so that's where we find, uh, they're actually called upon by a rabbi and they say, hey, why don't you follow me? I want you to learn from me. And then they get to learn the ways of teaching and teaching other people how to live according to the book of the Bibles that they've just memorized. 
So this is where we pick up with Jesus. Jesus is calling his disciples. Jesus bypasses this whole process because he's God, of course. So he, he shows up and he's like, I'm gonna be a rabbi, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna take disciples underneath me because I'm gonna teach them a new way. I'm gonna teach them the, the way, the truth, and the life. If they live according to my plan, if I can teach them how to fish for men, if I can teach them how to have compassion and love and joy and serve people, my church will be built and then now we get to reap the, the benefits of all the hard work that they put in. So Jesus is, is here and he's calling his disciples. This is where we find ourselves. Mark 1.16, this is Jesus. He says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. This was their daddy's business, probably. They had learned from their uncle, their dad, whatever, and they're going to fish for life. This is what they've kind of chalked it up to. They're done. They're like, done with school, done learning, they're going to fish. But Jesus says, no, this ain't it. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Mark 2, 13 through 14. He went out again, that being Jesus, and beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. So if you think back to that time, following Jesus meant dropping everything you had, leaving all of your whole life behind you, your family, your kids, your livelihood, your you made money for your family. You left that behind. All to, to chase after Jesus, to learn from him, to follow him, to wake with him, to sleep with him, to, to learn. To, how did he pray? You would go with him as he prayed. Everything that he did, you were around. But as we disciple today, that's not really how it works. If you had somebody following you 24-7, you would probably not last long doing it. <laughs> I don't know anybody that wants somebody on their tail 24-7 every single day of the week, all day of the year. That's, that would be crazy. But that's what these people did. But how does discipleship look now for us? Because obviously we have a different culture. Our pace is different. Our time is different. Our lives are different. But how do we do it? And I would say that it's a little bit more complicated because we don't just drop everything that we have to do it. And so today, what I, what I hope to do is just kind of lay out for us what it looks like to practically be a disciple and disciple someone for Jesus. So... How do we do it? In Luke 9, 23, if y'all want to go there, in your Bibles, on your electronic Bibles, you can highlight this verse in your Bible app or underline it with your pen. But I'm going to break down what it looks like from a big picture, 30,000 foot view, what Jesus expects of his disciples. So this is where we're at. It says, Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, being his disciples, if anyone would come after me, that phrase, come after me, means to become a disciple, to become a follower of Jesus Christ. In Luke 14, don't go there, Bailey. It says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not come after me cannot be a disciple. So that tells us when Jesus says, hey, if you want to come after me, that means become a disciple. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So what does this mean? Deny myself. What does it mean to deny myself? It means basically, God, your will, not mine. God, I choose to do the things that you want me to do versus what I truly do want to do. That relationship I want to get into, Lord, I'm, 
I'm going to choose not to because I feel like that's not a part of your will. They're not walking with you, so I know that's not something you would want for my life. Y'all understand that concept? Deny myself. The next one is very similar. Take up my cross. This is basically, Lord, I will exchange my life for a life in you. You're willing to die yourself to the will of God. Take up your cross. Here's a couple practical questions to, to evaluate if, am I willing to take up my cross for Jesus? This is a couple questions. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job? I'm not asking any of y'all to go act a fool, by the way. Number three, follow Jesus. This is the part where we're learning every single day how to follow, how to live like, and just be like who Jesus was while he was here. The example that he set all throughout the first six books, Matthew through Romans, of the New Testament. Jesus was alive in the first couple chapters of Romans. Maybe the first chapter, I'm not sure. But what was his example? How did he live? We're studying, we're learning the characteristics of God all throughout the Bible. How do we live according to God's will and his plan and what what a man of God or woman of God should act like? What does that look like? This is that process. And we never get to that point of, of finally arriving. But practically, how do we follow Jesus? Spend time in his word. Spend time with Jesus daily. Pray, worship. Study God's word. Serve in the church. Memorize scripture. That's something I'm not great at, just to be honest with you. Memorizing Scripture. I know where some verses are because we talk about them a lot. But are we memorizing Scripture so that we know when we walk into a battle or a tough situation, God can recall in that moment, the Lord is my rock and my shield. He's with me always to the ends of the earth. Like, are we, are we quick to know Scripture so that even in a moment, God can recall it? If it's written on our heart, God can remind us and we can have strength and hope and power in a moment. Are we studying his word? So part one is following Jesus. And I'm going to ask in a, in a little while, but how many of you, I'm not, I don't want you to answer or raise your hand, how many of you feel like you're following Jesus like you know you can? Are you following Jesus harder than you ever have before? Or are you kind of taking it easy? Are you kind of foot off the gas, coasting in, because you can do it later. I'm asking you, let this semester be a semester where you're going all in to yourself following Jesus. Because we can't make disciples of Jesus if we're not being a disciple of Jesus ourselves. We can't do it. But then the second part is discipling others. And this is where we're going to get extremely practical. Y'all ready? Jesus asked us to live a life of discipleship. And he modeled perfectly for us. So this is, this is what God's word says. That I've got a lot of verses here. I'm just going to run through kind of the what it means in each of these verses. You can probably take a picture before you want to write all these down, honestly. But here it is, Titus 2.4. The verses are talking about older women or to train younger women. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul and Timothy's relationship. Paul trained Timothy to train others to train other people. Ephesians 6.4, fathers are to train their children. Matthew 28, we already read that. Missionaries are to teach the nations everything Jesus commanded. Hebrews 3.13, all Christians are to exhort each other every day to avoid sin and to stir each other up. 1 Peter 4.10, all Christians are to use their gifts to serve others. All throughout Scripture, God is 
God is pointing us to his goal and his heart for us. And yes, I, I, he wants relationship with you. He wants relationship with me. But as we progress in that relationship, what he does is the gifts that you have, the things that he's equipped you with, the knowledge that you even possess about the things of God, your time in prayer, it will eventually overflow to where it impacts and lead, leads others to him. Why don't we do it? That's a loaded question. Why don't we do it? Here's a couple of things that I think, a couple of reasons why I think we don't. And if we were to be honest, some of these may be true. I don't know enough. Have you ever said that before? I don't know enough to start discipling someone. Your job and my job is not to know all the right answers. It's not to know the things that we need to do, the, the right amount of scripture, the perfect outline of discipleship from A to Z, because we don't know. No discipleship process is exactly the same. So we cannot. This is what Mark De- Dever says. He's a writer uh, for one of the commentary websites I read. He says, Christian discipling isn't so much the work of experts, those who, not, those who know a lot of things. To borrow the old phrase, it's the work of one beggar pointing another beggar to the bread. So as you're walking towards the things of Jesus, as you're growing in your relationship with him, you say, hey, would you like a relationship with Jesus too? Or are you trying to grow in your relationship too? Let's, let's both pursue Jesus and challenge each other at the same time. That's what true discipleship looks like. Another reason we may not disciple other people is we too busy. We are too busy. So we got, we got the all-consuming TikTok. What up? We got Instagram. We got, how many of y'all don't even have a Facebook? Let's just be honest. A couple of people don't have Facebook. Okay. That's okay. Uh, we've got so many things that fight for our attention, for our time. We are easily distracted. Uh, but just to be honest, I think if I were to reflect on why I don't, it is because I don't make the time for it. In the times where I'm not discipling people, I don't prioritize making disciples. Which means it's not important to me, and I'm not going to make time for it. So I feel like that's one. We got TikTok, work, Netflix. I spend more net hours Netflixing probably than I do reading the Word most weeks. We at the gym. Some of y'all at the gym like a full-time job. Some of you. <laughs> I'm not. I'm working on it. 2022, baby. Another reason, too comfortable. And this is where I think a lot of us can relate. Um, I, feel like, I feel like God gave me a picture. How many of y'all got like a shoe collection? I know everybody got some shoes, but like a shoe collection, you only wear, you only wear these shoes like out when like, pe- like people are going to be there. You know what I'm saying? Like you know those shoes aren't worn like every day. Y'all got those shoes? So you got the shoes that you may have two or three pair that you're like, no, that, those are for when I meet boo. Like, I'm, a, I'm saving those. Like, but then you got those other shoes that you wear out all the time. You know what I mean? Like, uh, what are those shoes called? Beaters. Okay. So I, you got your Nikes. You got the Christmas present. They're all white. You're trying to keep them looking good. I feel like most of the time as we take in scriptures, we take in knowledge, as we go to church, as we do all these things, we do those things so that we can impress others, 
We can wear them out in public. People will be impressed. Maybe even hope that God's impressed. But God's hoping we would put on the beaters, walk out, and start doing some work. And it's, it's because we're too comfortable. We've sat back. We've got the routine. We know that we're good. But when God says, hey, I want you to go and make disciples, some of the reason we don't is just we're just too comfortable. But how do I know if I'm ready? How do I know if I'm like, I can do the next step in like inviting someone, what we're going to talk about in just a second. Are you, have you accepted Jesus as your savior? You ready to go? Are you ahead of one of your peers? Whether that's like, do you read more days of the week? Do you pray more than them? Do they come to you and ask you questions about like, or do they confide in you emotionally? Those are some signs of like, you're ready. Do your peers, mentors, people who lead you, do they say you're ready? Those are just some, some signs that you can look at and say, I may be ready for this, but it's going to take a bold, confident step to do it. So how do I do it? I'm going to read these really quickly, and then we're going to take some uh, Q&A. Cool? Point number one, pray before. Before you ask somebody, before you enter into a discipleship relationship, before you ask somebody, hey, let's, it's not even this formal as like, do you want me to disciple you? Like, it doesn't even have to be like that direct. You can be like, hey, you want to get coffee? We can, we can read through God's word and like just grow together. Like that's super chill. If they don't want nothing to do with God, they will probably even come to coffee. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like as, as, as haunting or, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but. Daunting, that's what it is. Thank you all. Haunting, that's like October. It's not as daunting as hearing, will you let me disciple you? I'm like, bro, get up off me. I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, But it's super easy. Pray before so that God can reveal to you who it is, how often. God will reveal to you and even shift your heart as you begin praying. Lord, who do you want me to disciple? Who, Who is somebody that I could really pour my life into? And God, will, God is faithful to bring somebody right alongside you every single time. You just got to have the boldness to say, you want to get in the word? You want to go to coffee once a week, every other week? And let's just get into this. Pray before. Secondly, just do it. So we just be waiting. You know what I mean? We just be waiting. Okay, I know y'all been here. When I was in college, uh, I was scoping and hoping. I came to Elevation, scoping and hoping. I was at CBC. Like, looking for, looking for my wife, uh, Ring by Spring was the name of the game at CBC. But I was, I was wanting a relationship. And so, but even the girls I was interested in, I would never ask them because I was waiting for that perfect moment. You know what I mean? That moment that, like, the, the Red Sea splits and she's standing, serving right in the foyer. No one's around. The right music is on. And it's like a moment. You, you feel me? Like, it's like... This is it. Thank you, Lord. Uh, that never came. And I feel like some of us be wishing and hoping that there's a perfect moment to ask somebody to be discipled, but that ain't coming. We can't wait on God to open up the heavens and shine a light on like, is that Debbie? Is that the one I should disciple? <laughs> Sorry, Debbie. I don't know if you're here. It's just not going to happen. We just got to be bold, confident. Ask them. Invite them to coffee, meal, hang. That's not good English, but it's short. So 
Uh, it's super simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Teach them to walk with God. This is where we get intimidated because we don't feel like we know enough or know where they should go. Read God's word with them. Pray with them. Serve with them. Get connected into community with them. Those are, that's all you have to do. Invite them to Kroger with you. Text them and say, hey, I'm going to Target, girl. You want to go? Like, bros, you hit the links. You're going to the driving range? Hit them up. Like, let's, like, invite them to the driving range. Spend 45 minutes. Build relationship. And this thing started. Super easy. Teach them how to walk with God. And then last thing, preparation is the key. Have a plan so it feels intentional. Even if your plan is, we're going to read through the Gospels, like we're going to read through Luke, and then we're going to meet every two weeks, and then that's all I know. Perfect. That's a good plan. They know, you know, we're on the same page, we're good to go. That's discipleship. I want to ask Evan to come up here. Bailey, how, how long was the timer? I didn't look. Okay. For about seven minutes, we're going to take some Q&A. Give it up for Evan, everybody. Come on. Now we'll stay right here. Up here? Oh, you got the mic. Let's go. So Evan works uh, at Stumo. How many of y'all heard of Stumo in town? He is uh, CEO of St- No, that's not true. Uh, Chief Evangelistic Officer. Not true either. That's not true either. So he works at Stumo. He's been in college ministry for over, uh, I won't actually, I'll call you out, over a decade, uh, super old, super wise, just doesn't have the gray hair to prove it. You know what I mean? So uh, he is probably one of the strongest people when it comes to discipleship, intentionality, asking great questions. So when I, one, he's one of my greatest friends. We've been in college ministry together for a long time. But also I really admire the way that he's intentional and goes after people. And so he loves this part here, speaking in front of people. So if you could just, the more pressure (laughs) you apply, the better. I'm kidding. You're not going to tell him about Bob's, our experience, year, a year doing discipleship in Bob's. You and me. You and, yeah. Yeah. He discipled so, me. No. The other way around. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's not true at all. So that's a perfect example. Uh, he thinks he discipled me. Wait, right? No. no. He thinks I discipled him. I think he discipled me. And that's how a discipleship relationship should work. Uh, none of you are like superior than the other. You're just going through God's word, holding each other accountable. And it's a great representation. We did it pretty perfectly. So Lots of coffee. About a half gallon of coffee every morning. And Bob's is super Bob's. greasy. Smelled Sorry. like Bob's the rest of the day. As oh. always. Oh. Felt, no, felt like okay. Bob's the rest of the day. If anybody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, question number one. He's going to answer a couple of things. If you all have questions, please send them in. We want to hit these. But as quickly as you can, because uh, Bailey's got the red timer up now. What are you trying to do to me? Uh, how have you initiated a discipleship relationship? Well, I think you covered this pretty well. Um, I think that we can make this really awkward. And we can walk, and like, well, you can get in your head and think you're just going to walk up to someone and just say, hey, can I disciple you? And how awkward is that? Um, and I think that's way too complicated. I think ways that I've done it in the past, just asking someone to come be in your life. Um, now, you know, having a family, um, just asking college students to come over and, and see, just eat dinner with us, uh, hang out, go to a coffee shop, um, just being intentional with them. Um, and then doing that with the purpose of obviously sharing, sharing scripture with them, like just asking them who they are and, and what's going on in their life. And if you're intentional with that, that that's the beginning of discipleship. Now you can ask them, I think 
that happens sometimes. But especially someone that's far away from God, like doesn't really want to do anything with Christ, walking up to them and saying, hey, I'd like to disciple you, is not going to go over very well. I like the way you said it. You actually said that you invite them over, spend time with you, your family, eat dinner. Does every discipleship meeting have to be study Ephesians 2? No. Like, what does that look like? Well, and I think the reason for that is that because following Jesus isn't always reading the Bible, always in prayer. It's life. It's everyday life. And so that's what discipleship is. It's taking people along on that journey with you. And if you're following Jesus, that's stuff that's going to come out of your life every day. It's in your everyday life. It's going to happen at dinner when you're praying with your family. You're teaching your daughter. You guys probably don't have children, but it's just an example. When you're teaching your daughter um, how to pray or um, some scripture or something like that, they're just bringing people to do the things that you do when you follow Jesus. And it's simple. It doesn't have to be so difficult. What was one of the biggest, obviously you've had several guys in your, in your relationship or in your walk with God that have discipled you mm-hmm. uh, or had that mentor type role that, probably assumed a little bit of a discipleship process. What was something that you count as invaluable through one of those relationships? Does that make sense? Like what's something that you took, took away that was like, I wouldn't have gotten this any other way? Yeah, I mean, not to, this is probably a pretty typical answer, um, but I know that I wouldn't have the family today that I, that I have. I wouldn't have ever um, gotten married to Sid or... Um, pursued God in, in that way if it not been for a man named Matthew Creesman, who I was lost in the world as to, to how to lead, um, how, to, how to love the Lord. And um, he just particularly was very helpful in, in what it meant to look like or what it looked like to be a man um, pursuing after a dating relationship and eventually a marriage and a family. So what would you say to someone who feels like they're not ready to disciple? Um, I would say that you're probably making it too complicated for one. Um, if, so a pastor I really like puts it this way. Um, being a disciple is being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing the things that Jesus did. And it starts with being with Jesus. If you're, if you've started that relationship with God where you're spending time with Jesus, you're going to slowly start becoming like Jesus. That's just what's going to happen if you're doing it for real. Um, and, and if you're learning to love Jesus If you're doing that, all you have to do at that point is just ask someone to come along with you. Invite them into that with you. Um, And I think something that's really important to remember is that you're not so much asking them to learn from you. I mean, yes, there's a little bit of that, but more you're asking them to learn from Jesus with you, if that makes sense. So he takes the pressure off of you. You don't have to be perfect. You just want to invite them to come along with you and learn about who Jesus is. and that's what discipleship looks like. Okay, I'm going to take one. What are some don'ts of discipleship? Maybe some things or beliefs about it that we should not think. That's a good question. Don'ts of discipleship. Is that one for me or for you? Probably both. You first, though. Oh, you said you were going to take it, so I wasn't ready. No, this is, no you first, for sure. You're more wise than Some me. don'ts of discipleship. Probably a guy probably doesn't walk up to a girl and say, like, that he likes and says, hey, can I, can I disciple you? That's probably a don't. <laughs> That's smooth, though, honestly. <laughs> That's smooth. Oh, I don't know why that came to my mind. Uh, That's great advice, actually. Um, 
If you, I would say this, don't discipleship if you're extremely prideful. Because that will, I believe that's how a lot of Christians get hurt. Baby Christians, mature Christians, I feel like if we have pride in our hearts where, I could tease people, like out of your humility, Christ will be exalted. In your pride, you will tear relationships up. So I would say that's one. That made me think of something else. Again, again, it goes back to a, a simple, making it simple and not so complicated. But don't go into a discipleship relationship and try to be the professor. Sit across the table from someone and just preach to them. Tell them uh, everything they need to know how to be like you. That is not discipleship. I think that, that person is probably not going to come back. They're not going to enjoy that. Um, instead, listen to them. Yeah. Get to know who they are. Like, show them that you care about them. And things will come up. Opportunities will come if they know you care about them and you're learning who they are. Opportunities will come to, yeah. to show them what the word has to say about their life or um, what they should do in a particular situation. Praying with them or for them, um, encouraging them and whatever's yeah. going on in their life. Craig Rochelle says, great leaders ask great questions. Uh, if you look at Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well, y'all know that story. Uh, Jesus walks up, disciples go eat some food. Woman comes up to the well. She's like in pain, hurting, years and years of hurt. Jesus, what does he do? He doesn't call out, you're an adulterer. You need to change your ways. You You need to live life for me. No, he lovingly asks questions that penetrate her heart. And great questions in a sense of, it, it almost forces her to answer and reflect on, man, what has my life been like? But it's not condemning. It doesn't put her in, a, in, a, in a, uh, like a, an emotional dangerous place. It feels safe. But it's just genuine concern and love for people. And I feel like that's what I meant with pride. Your friends will tell you if you're prideful. You may not be like, I'm super prideful. So I'm <laughs> yeah, kind of Nobody's pride there. Kind of what we're saying is, is don't be the one that talks the most. That's, really, that's a really good way to put it. Okay, next question. If I want to be discipled by someone above me, is it my responsibility to seek them out? And they said, the disciples didn't seek out Jesus. He came to them. I mean, that's a good point. Um, but I do think that you take the responsibility of your own growth. So you might have somebody walk up to you and, and say, hey, I'd come hang out with me. But there's a good chance that someone that you look up to would love to do that, but is, has a family or is in, you know, just really busy in school, and they're not thinking about that. You take responsibility for your growth. There's nothing wrong with walking up to someone and asking that or, or, or going after that relationship yourself. I would say you can't blame someone else for your lack of growth, for your lack of discipleship. Now, that's on the good. reverse side, we have to take responsibility to go out and do it ourselves as well. I think the reason we have to is because there's a lack of us going after people. Like if, if it was as common as it was back in Jesus' time for people to just to automatically go after people and say, I'm going to disciple these younger people. Like I don't have many older men meeting me in the foreign and saying, hey, I just love to strike up relationships. Like you want to go to coffee. It just doesn't happen. But I could easily go up to an older man and be like, hey, I admire the way you lead your family. I love the way you lead your business. Man, I, I just, you seem like you're, you love God. You're here faithfully. 
can, you, you mind meeting with me and just so I can glean from him? I feel like it's just because of the way our culture has become. Okay, next question. Uh, this is a good one. Is it sinful or wrong to not prioritize discipleship? Both. I think it is. And this is hard to hear because I'm not always good at it either. Um, but you just read it in Matthew um, chapter 28, right? Yep. Um, you just read it. It is a command. When Jesus, is one of the last things that Jesus said before he left this earth. It's, if you think about it, um, it's the only way that the gospel went forward. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Jesus, and it's because those tw- it started with 12 men who spread it out to more and to more. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Jesus, and Christianity is this huge religion, and it's because of discipleship. Yeah. Without it, we wouldn't be here. Mm. I understand the heart of this question. I don't, I don't know how to verbalize what I'm... Okay, so Matthew 28, at the end of that, end of the, end of that verse, he says, uh, this is specifically answering, is it sinful or wrong to not disciple? Um, could you not disciple and still live for God? Yes. Are you a true disciple of Jesus if you are not discipling others? I don't know. I can't make that call. That's between you and the Lord. Like, I, I would say the fruit of being a disciple of Jesus is not there because there's no discipleship. But the beautiful thing about this is, is when we totally surrender and say, God, okay, I don't know, my schedule's full. I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't really even know if I'm capable or good enough to do this, but I'm going to do it. What he did at the beginning of Romans is he said, boys, I'm about to go be with the Father. I'm about to be crucified. I'm about to raise from the dead. It's going to be best if I'm not here because I'm going to give each one of you the Holy Spirit who will empower you to do the things I'm calling you to do. And if we in our own ability try to, try to logically comprehend if we can or not, we are assuming, I would even say, a lordship of our own life. Like we are not totally surrendered to the will of God because this is something that God wants us to do. But I would say you are equipped and he will empower you to do what he's called you to do. Now I believe that we do a lot of things that God doesn't empower us to do or equip us to do, but we make time for it. And so I would just say, is it sinful and wrong? I would say no. But I I would question, are you a true disciple of Jesus if you're not? That would be my answer. So that kind of goes against what you said. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know what you're saying. I do, I do think it's a command, but I think I understand. I guess if, if many of you guys in, in here knew me, you would know that I'm, I'm not a crazy, confident person that just walks up to people and just has conversations with everybody. Um, I think what you, it's so easy to do is, is uh, be think that you and your fear are kind of alone. You're the only one. I, people don't understand how, how scary or how, how fearful I am of this. If they were, everyone else has got more confidence than me. And that's, I would say that's really not true. On the, on the opposite side of that, I know being that kind of a person who has lacked confidence many times or, or is just as fearful of doing this as anyone else in the room, there's nothing more fulfilling in life than doing it. 
being obedient to God and seeing him use you in some awesome ways to break down barriers and walls in people's lives to see people have things healed in life because you were just willing to sit down and ask them good questions, pray with them. It's, it's almost addicting. It's, it's incredible, but yeah. we're all fearful of it. Very, very few people are not fearful of it. I agree. I would agree with that. Uh, one, more, one more question. If I didn't answer your question, I will answer it in text tomorrow, just so you know. What are some good boundaries to have while disciplining someone? Discipling, sorry. (laughs) I went into father mode. Y'all better get ready. I don't disciple. Oh my gosh. Some boundaries. Discipline. (laughs) Uh, I think that if you try to get too deep, too fast in a relationship, you can cross some boundaries like don't be that they can get awkward really fast if you try to kind of shove into people's deepest wounds deepest hurts yeah you have to let that may take that's going to take time and you have to uh let get you pray about it let god do that work in, in people's hearts um don't force it is what i would maybe say about that I, I think I understand the question. I think that, uh, yeah, I don't want to add anything to that. That was good. Will you, do you have any closing thoughts on discipleship altogether? Yeah, one thing I was, I mean, I think I've already kind of talked about it, but kind of my last thing here is just don't, don't wait and don't have this thought that you're waiting to a certain amount of maturity so that you can be this experienced discipler to start making disciples. Because if you do, you'll, you'll never do it. The only way you get experience and expertise is by what? By experience. And so you, you have to do this. But it, again, it's the greatest journey. It's the greatest thing that just seeing God use you is such a, an incredible, amazing experience. Um, you walk away from it, seeing that God did something in your life um, and, and you just want to keep going back to it even when it's, and, and that's what the disciples did. And they were willing to, that's what, you know, the 12 disciples did. That's what they were willing to do. They, they, they died for it. Um, and we're here because of it. And if you look generations down, if you do this, there will be people that can, can say, maybe they won't even know, but they can be in the kingdom of God because you did something. Because you, you said yes to God in a moment. You prayed for somebody. You may never even know that it happens. Um, there's probably more people out there that you will never know that come to the kingdom of God because of your work um, than the ones that you do. Um, it's scary. It's, it's hard to have confidence to do it, but it's worth it, is what I would say. I want to do two things. Will you stay up here? I'm going to have you pray for one group of people. Um, if you will, bow your heads. I'm gonna, I want to...